Well, Josie, what's this? Uh, this is Robin Ince and Josie Long's book shambles. Uh, hello, welcome. Welcome, Welcome back. I'm the comedian and broadcaster, Josie Long. And I uh, am I still, but I, I, I in one of our podcasts, I actually called someone a cultural commentator. Oh, oh what kind of arse am I? So please welcome today's cultural commentator <laughs> and, uh, broadcaster. <laughs> and broadcaster and broadcaster and uh, fantastic musician as well, and uh, and a, a stress wrangler uh, and an art historian. <laughs> Today he will officially be become an art historian because we're very lucky to have him when he is actually going to be finding out the results of his. No, I, it's a, uh, it's not a master. Is it a master's? Is no, it? it's my second degree. My first degree is performing arts, and um, I did that at um, Middlesex University uh, in the late eighties. So I didn't really want to um, do a master's in art history. I wanted to um, do something a bit more elementary. And that is David McCormick speaking, who has spent about the last three years of his life in the National Portrait Gallery Cafe, haven't you? <laughs> last four. Four years. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And today you're finding out your results. Yeah, there's a summer party this afternoon, and um, the summer party happens immediately after the um, examinations board meeting. Oh, so um, somebody appears at the party with a sheet of paper with the student numbers and the scores on them. That's a very so, cruel thing to do at a party. Yeah, I know, and it's, but if you want to find out today, that's when how you find out. Um, on, but but there, um, there's an email after the weekend. But um, I, I want putting out of my misery because I sort of had a month. Um, in um, the spring where I just um, stayed at, I just had a Trappist monastic experience at home with Fra Angelico and um, the, the Dominican observance and all of that stuff and I was just at home breeding dandruff because I was like getting out of bed um, going straight to my computer and then um, the guy that I live with would get home and sort of like say have you eaten today and I'd be like what 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 <laughs> and then collapse into bed and it was like that for a month when I, I oh. When I did my dissertation um, at university, I was got I got a bit behind, and it was so stressful mm. that my boyfriend at the time locked me in a room at his mum's house with my friend's laptop. It was slightly <laughs> pre music being able to be on mp3s so i had one mp3 on the laptop that i could listen to and it was lovely day by bill withers so for a week solid i listened to lovely day by bill withers wrote <laughs> went to bed <laughs> and so it's yeah i think everyone has to have that experience at the end of yeah music sounds um sounds fantastic when you study yeah. Can yeah, you write know. and study with music with lyrics though no i can't i can't i i, I what i mean by that is that uh after a a, a long afternoon in the in the library, or a long period of writing an essay, listening to a, to, to a record that you know has a added something. Yeah. What is the when, when you were going through? I mean, I presume there was for most of hopefully your study, it was kind of uh, the benevolent agony of immersion into these things. Mm. But I imagine there were also points where. It, you go. Why have I done this? This is. Uh, was there any point where you you lost the joy within the art that you you were looking at? Was there any point you dismantled it too much? I lost the joy several times a year, and that was when we did footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was great. But just footnoting just drove me to distraction. I, I, and, and right um, as I wrote the dissertation, four years later, I suddenly discovered the joy of footnotes. And it, and it was like, oh, I see, I get it now. But 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 right through, it was like, you know, I just love um, writing. I mean, that, that, that's why I went, to become a better writer. But um, I, I, I love the writing, really um, enjoy the research. Um, that was um, one of the things that I didn't like, was that um, there was just so much information and so many um, avenues of suggestion that I just didn't have the time 
to look at everything. I didn't have the time to read, um, to look at all the books on reading lists. Um, I didn't have a time to, um, you know, when, when you're doing your research, you have to work with the index essentially. So um, <clears throat> actually, um, I was finding these writers and these books that I really liked and not having a chance to engage fully with the, with, with the text, just lifting sections and then having to move on. So that I found quite frustrating. But no, I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, I just loved um, being educated again and um, finding out about things that I wouldn't look at unless I was at university. So well, give, can we have an example then? So that, that bit of where you find yourself focusing on something which you would not necessarily dismiss but would just not be in your field of vision if you weren't studying it. Well, pseudo dionysian light mysticism is one that really struck me. That's um, um, Sorry, we're going to have to get you to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> pseudo dionysian light mysticism. Um, it's um, Pseudo-Dionysius was uh, a um, Syrian um, uh, mystic philosopher in the um, 6th century um, in Damascus, and uh, some his his writings were very influential. And somewhere along the lines, he got confused with um, Saint Denis, and um, his writings made their way to France. And when Abbot Suger, Abbot Suger um, of Saint Denis um, Cathedral decided that he um, was going to um, rebuild it in the Gothic style. It was all about um, allowing more light in to the um, um, with, with with Gothic architecture, which is why you have all of the flying buttresses outside, so that you can have um, uh, t higher walls and more room for fenestration windows. And um, that was very much informed by him writing about um, the Father of Lights and um, uh, light being God on Earth, and that was very much linked to Pseudo Dionysius's writings. I'm so quietly were... confident you're going to get quite a good result, by the way, just on, based on those, <laughs> those last two paragraphs. <laughs> so people were genuinely like, mm, that name sounds a bit weird. They must be talking about him. Well, what, one of the words you hear, you hear in uh, art history a lot is conflation. Mm. So um, there was a Saint-Denis that was martyred alongside St. Paul, mm -hmm. and there was a Saint-Denis who um, was um, decapitated in France, and then there was this guy. And um, the um, in the early 12th century... That they um, coalesced in the um, vision of um, the um, Gothic thinkers. Then I find that interesting. Where when you go into a certain world, suddenly there is a word that you have never noticed. Not even talking about the paintings. Or there's words like you're saying conflation. For me, once I started getting back into science, I thought I'd never known how much inculcation there was around everywhere. <laughs> inculcate, suddenly inculcate, inculcate. Oh, and God, it was, I'm so embarrassed not to. I can't. What does inculcate? Uh, it's kind of to uh, um, to uh, what's the best way of describing it? Uh, inculcate is, is to look at something and therefore make a, and go. I think it is this happened because of this. So it's so, like so it's it's looking at you know to inculcate is to infer? go yeah to kind of infer yeah the, it's uh, like a, a calculation of inference. Yes, I think that is. And if you don't, if you're not happy with that uh, definition, please write in because I'm not. Um, the uh, <laughs> inattentional blindness—that's everywhere at the moment for me. Mm. Reading a lot of books about psychology and perception, inattentional blindness. Yeah. Anyway, so the uh, <laughs> this is what it's always like, by the way. I've also, oh yeah, I, 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 hopefully, uh, David, we've we've met enough times for you never to expect professionalism. Th was it any point? 
and then we'll get on to onto your book, the books that you love. But uh, when you were balancing the fact that uh, was it a tremendous relief where you would go from the intensity of study to then you did a a, a tour, the uh, McCormick Butler uh, tour of twentieth, which magically happened at, happened on Reading Week. I couldn't <laughs> believe that because um, the um, tour was put in place before um, I, I knew what the, what the term dates were, and magically from the first of November to the seventh of November was Reading Week, so I didn't have to miss anything. But that must have been because I'm, I'm following your, your tour and seeing, you know, back, back on the tour bus, mm. going over to, to Dublin and then and saw you at the, the Roundhouse, which was a uh, it, it was a remarkable gig. It was a fantastic gig because it was uh, basically there was no one. I, I was upstairs. So I'd done five gigs that day already. And the first time ever when they went, they went, do you want to be seated? And I went, yes, <laughs> I'm 46. I'm very tired. Just sit and have a beer and watch. And I was looking at every No one seemed to turn away from looking at the stage. There there you were, Bernard Butler, the, the magic numbers being your... Uh, and just everyone's head, they were just looking. They weren't wandering to the bar. They were watching. And that moment, that, that kind of celebration of, of what is a different section of your life was that, like, this is a good way to spend reading week. I think most reading weeks should be spent being celebrated for uh, one's art, music and achievement. Is, was, was that good? Um, it was great. Um, but... Um... What where, where 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 I've arrived, where I find myself now, is that I'm, I, I really want to write, and um, music is actually um, playing second fiddle at the moment. I'm so a, did I, it I change when to... you were there, well, when you were performing? Was there a little bit of you, even though you were getting? I began all that to notice this um, frustration when I when, when I did the glare with Michael Nyman, um, because I was. Um, we, we, we live in a great research age. Um, it's, it's, I, I, I don't think um, researching anything's ever been so good. You can write an essay at home in an hour because you have access to so much online. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I um, met with Michael and we had a, an idea that you, could, that, that you could probably argue was quite pretentious. We wanted to um, do, 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 do a, um, a song cycle about The Raft of the Medusa by Theodore Jericho. Um, but um, what happened was uh, I, I, I borrowed a book from Michael and became fascinated by Jericho himself, particularly the fact that um, his romanticism was defined by his reluctance to um, paint neoclassicism, the, 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 the way that, that lots of his contemporaries, like Jacques-Louis David, were, they were, um, you know, for an, for an artist then, um, to um, have any credibility, they had to um, know, the, know, know Latin, no Greek, have studied the classics before they even, um, you know, picked up a paintbrush. That was what was expected of them. And the most esteemed painting was history painting. Mm. Um, what Jericho wanted to do was bring the, bring the qualities of history painting to contemporary stories. And that's why um, the glare ended up being um, 21st century portraits. Um, that, 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 that was very much inspired by, by, by that um, romantic idea. But... Um, what I found was I was doing lots of research, like really cramming my brain full of all of this information and then writing two verses in a chorus. I know what you mean. It's the same with stand-up. You, you can get away with actually... Uh, like, you end up writing a joke that might just be tangential to all the things you've written, uh, that you've read and written about it. Mm. And so, in a way, like you do all of this stuff to build on it and then mm. you end up with something... It's not necessarily flippant, but obviously with comedy more more so than music, it can be really flippant or really like arch or something. And it does feel a bit a bit like right, okay, because 
that was what I was interested in. That was what I was doing. And then that's how it ended up me going, oh, whatever. You but know. that's not the end up. That, see, I disagree because I find that, that the joy of it is that, yeah, you've just it's ended up just being this short song. It's, it's you know, two verses and a chorus. It's a, it's a punchline. It's probably not a pun, you know, but it's whatever <laughs> it is. But the fun was your alibi for reading all those things. Like I, I was the other day, I was writing this, this thing about sleep. And when you were saying about the access for research is brilliant. Mm. I thought I must write something about fatal familiar, familial insomnia, which is a hideous, uh, very similar to uh, Kreutzjakob <laughs> or Mad Cow. It's a really right. terrible thing. Wow. And you basically can't sleep. You die. You die from inability to sleep. But hear. I was able to just call up all of these different papers, different bits of research, and I only, in the end, it was two lines. For, but on that journey, I just found lots of stuff. And it doesn't make it extraneous because I didn't write a whole column about that. It meant that I had the, the excitement of learning about these things. And also, what are you doing? You wasting your time just reading about fatal familial insomnia again. Actually, darling, it's for work. <laughs> but it was only two lines and a pun. Well, I suppose that that's sort of something. This says something about what it means to be an artist because it's it's almost like it's not enough to have all that for yourself. Mm. You want then to process it and share it, and you want to share it in a manner that feels more full, you know? So then, and then maybe, I don't know whether that's necessarily that healthy, because maybe it's healthier to go, I've read all that stuff, I found it fascinating, I feel bigger and brighter and better intellectually for it, now I'll go and make some lunch. But, like, it's almost like... You'd have to have a job. You wouldn't have the time. The reason you have time to do all that research and just turn it into one line or turn it into a song is because there's this secondary thing, which is meant to be the primary thing, which goes, there we go. Unfortunately, that song did all right. And uh, that's made just enough for me to now go and read another book yeah. that my alibi is that it's for a song. And also, what I would say is, it's good to have songs built on such solid intellectual foundations. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the other, I mean, the other thing is that you. Um, I mean, the writing uh, form I'm most attracted to, I suppose, is the essay because mm. um, I'm more uh, drawn to um, non-fiction than I am fiction. And it's just it's just worked out that way, and it's been very interesting because I um, I heard someone say at university before I left that I'm you know I'm really looking forward to this degree being over. I'd like to, I'd be really nice to read a novel. And I really liked the way that that sounded. And I thought, I started saying it. I'm really looking forward to the degree over. I'd really love to read a novel. And um, I got out of there and I um, decided, right, I've been watching all of these Woody Allen films all my life. Time to read Dostoevsky. I um, picked up Crime and Punishment and I lasted about a day. And then I was straight on to the US presidency. Um, quite, quite an unexpected development. I wrote two pieces about Donald Trump and then decided that I really should do my research. And then that kind of quickly mushroomed in, right, I'm going to America in September to, you know, um, write, 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 write about the race. Um, and um, what, one of the things I found out was that Thomas Jefferson, um, the third president, and John Adams II, they, they, they died on the same day um, in 1826, July the 4th, 50th anniversary of, the, um, um, of, of, of independence. And, um, I, you know, whilst I'm gathering all of, the, of this information, I'm thinking I really need to keep this to myself because, you know, I, get, I, I want to come out, you know, glowing. But then, you know, something like Brexit happens, and um, you just have to write. I mean, if, you, if, 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 if you're an essayist like me, you just have to, like, you know, write paragraphs every morning. But um, it was but really it... useful to know that fact because it's 190 years ago almost to the day. And um, it was really nice to be able to marry up this um, portent 
idea of um, Bowie and Prince, um, two like cultural icons of Western symbiosis. That's how, that's how I describe them in the essay. Um, uh, to the death of um, Thomas Jefferson and um, John Adams on the same day, 190 years ago, almost to the day. It was like, that's a gift. It's like suddenly, um, you know, I'm, I'm presented to the Huffington Post and it's um, the 1st of July and that, that, that couldn't have been more perfect. So like you say, it's really worth just gathering and gorging on all this information, but um, you're more likely to um, um, be able to ha enjoy that synchronicity if you're writing an essay, I think, than if you're writing verses in a chorus. Mm. That I'm, makes sense. It, it yeah. makes sense. Is there, though, in that writing essay, because, I, I mean, I, I, I used to write a blog post every day and try yeah. and make about a different subject, and then I just just stopped because mm. I... I, uh, I don't, don't mean that, but after Brexit, there was a point on Sunday where I think, you know, there were quite a few people who felt that many of the issues that, that rose up from it, which were nothing to do with the EU, which showed the kind of uh, United Kingdom that we would like to consider was no longer in existence and you, you'd see a certain level of, of, of kind of broadly broadcast hate. And I, and I wrote a, a piece, I wrote about a thousand words, just about what it meant and why certain people were reacting. It was nothing to do with the EU, it really, there was something... But I don't know whether it mattered whether it was then I put it up anywhere. It was that part of the thing of writing an essay, and I suppose it depends on... It might be different for you, which is not to share the knowledge, but just to get the words out of your head, that it becomes this act of trepanning, that this mm. thing festers and it pulses, and you go, I need to get these words out. Mm. And then hopefully it, it needs, in one way, it needs some kind, it doesn't matter how big the readership is, it needs to have a purpose, which means there it is and someone else can see it if they want. Mm. I don't know whether you... Well, um, when it comes to the knowledge in an essay, I think that one of the things that I really enjoy about uh, a lot of the essays that I've read is that they um, just... Uh, indicate several directions in which you can travel after you've read it. I mean, they might make a passing reference to something. Um, Cornell West is um, someone that I uh, like to listen to. I mean, he's rather like you, I would say, in that um, he, um, he's, a, he, 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 he's this autodactic sponge, sponge. It's just like absorbing information all the time and just riffing on it. Um, um, it's 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 very 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 jazz, I think. And um, th 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 those were the lecturers that I enjoyed most at university. Those who sort of prepared a lesson but just came in and dropped their notes and just like went mm. off on one. Mm. It's like you know that's that, that that's really exciting when people are able to do that. And it's certainly what I aspire to. But when you listen to Cornell West, he's W. E. Du Bois, he's Jane Austen, he's the Bible, he's um, uh, Cicero. He's just like bringing in all of all, all of this information to, to to make his point. And um, that's really enjoyable because you think, okay, to really, um, you know, um, uh, discuss something um, convincingly, it's really worth having a sense of um, historical survey. And that's one of the things that I got from Bert Beck was um, the whole um, Gombrich, um, Honor and Fleming um, art historical survey. Um, you can um, explain a painting from the 17th century far more effectively if you have an idea of what, of what, what has been happening since um, prehistory yeah. and um, the reason that people um, make objects and create, vis um, create, create visions. Um, so 
Um, yeah, I, 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 and that's why I like to invest the knowledge, a, a, a bit of knowledge. I mean, you know, it's, I feel, you know, a little bit I'm pleased with myself. I can't lie to you. It's like, yeah, there's something that I know, and I've like made it really work here. But um, at the same time, I know that um, people are going to read that and probably like say, oh, oh, oh who, who's this, you know, guy that he's going on about? What's, what, what, what else is significant about this? Well, I think that's important. That's the difference in writing, where some some people's work they look at just seems to be here's the information mm. you'll now be able to have a conversation about this mm. whereas my favourite writing is that one that goes here's some information and hopefully this information is exciting enough and alluring enough for you mm. to go well I better go somewhere else to find out more about this so so it should always my favourite writing is I mean did you find that with you were talking about Gombrich who wrote the uh, history of art and art and illusion as well another mm. so um, was that work kind of something that you would recommend as a starting point for somebody who goes I don't really know about art and I want to know more and I want to be taken a little bit further than just my initial reaction to a canvas but it depends on how um, interested you are I mean Gombrich yes um, but I think that the Honour and Fleming book is a lot better what's the Honour and Fleming book I don't know um, it's Hugh Honour and John Fleming and they wrote a world history of art um, it's about two inches thick and about um, 11 inches high. It's, it's the size of a, of a very thick um, Marshall Ward catalogue. <laughs> but um, they begin the story um, in the... Um, you, 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 uh, you'll know, you're, you're the early... Um, Venus chipping, that, mm. that, that period. What you call it? I can't remember. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Venus chipping. Venus chipping's good. I like Venus, Venus chipping. chipping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Venus chipping period, guys. Venus chill out, right? <laughs> There's a not, not enough of that in Kenneth Clark's Civilization. Yeah. And it was about well, well, now. Ow, that went in my eye. Well, Venus chipping, aren't I, Kenneth? Shut <laughs> up. But you have the three stages of yeah. early man. Yeah. What other bit you don't? I know. I've got totally blank on Megalithic? this. Megalithic? Uh, you've got I mean, Neolithic. If anyone, I'm got... definitely the. Uh... So you're talking basically about with the equivalent of the 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 flint chipping. The yeah. so so we have that kind of what's a, over a hundred thousand years ago, I suppose, where you start to get those. We now find those fields of flint. Yeah, yeah the minute that it goes beyond tools to, to, to creation of objects. Mesolithic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that, that period. Um, so uh, they was they're starting from objects. They're starting from they're starting from from objects and and they're looking at the entire world. Um, the narrative is art all over the world rather than just um, the, the, the Western world, which is what Gombrich looks at. Uh, so but isn't that astonishing that, that somebody... And I appreciate, you know, like, people's perspective would be different if Gombrich's writing a long time ago, but it's so blinkered not to go, oh, cool, cool, so we were doing that. What were they doing there? And is that similar? Like, it, it blows my mind that yeah. you could think of writing... A history of art without thinking about it holistically. It, it, yeah. The compartmentalization is useful though because, um, well, I mean, what I've just been through, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I was doing, um, I'd have been a lot more dissatisfied if I was studying a world history of art at right. Birkbeck because it's just too, too much. much. Yeah. Um, and, um, but still, um, what Gombrich probably wouldn't indicate is the link between um, early Greek art and Egyptians. Right. Whereas um, Honor and Fleming, will, you will spend time with the Egyptians. So where would you... Well, in terms of... So, so that's, the, that's a starting point, mm. which is two inches thick and 11 inches high. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your starting point where you... 
you, you, you were, I mean, you would have been very young, I presume, when the first, first band that would have been Thieves, would that yes. be right? So that's late 80s, early 90s, is yes. it? Yes. Right. And then was there a point where, was it already in you, do you think? Was it, were you aware of somewhere else you wanted to go apart from being a, uh, a, a musician? Was there something else where you thought, do you know what, this, this study, this desire? Mm. What were you reading? Like when you were on tour, were you, what were the books that you were reading then? Um, the thing is that um, what I've come to realise now is that there are a range of responses in my life that um, have, 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 have signalled to me from very early on, but I haven't quite picked up on it. Um, my sister was an artist and she had a complete obsession with um, the Madonna and Child. I don't know why. But my mother had a friend who, um, who um, encouraged my sister's painting and would um, bring the Italian masters into the house. So I had, I grew up with like Titian and Da Vinci and Fra Angelico on, on, on the walls at home. You know, because my sister was like, you know, just looking at, at these Madonnas holding, hold, holding babies. And then um, fast forward to that period that you're talking about and um, I started going, you know, it was, um, I'd been in Guyana for nine years by that point, which um, is quite remote. And I got back to Europe with the knowing about the Mona Lisa, knowing about knowing about the Leaning Tower, knowing about the Eiffel Tower, and these were all things that I had to tick off. It's like, well, I've got to go and see these things. Um, <clears throat> and um, at the time, I was still um, trying to um, look at the books that were linked to the um, uh, literature that I'd studied um, at O and A level. So I wanted to um, like read more Dickens. I wanted to read more Orwell. Um, I wanted to look, at, look, look read, read, read more Jean Rhys. But then I Jean Rhys again. The Jean Rhys alarm goes off. This is very good. You weren't here when Jeff Dyer was talking. Who, Basically, uh, it's not a podcast. Th there are some lovely collisions of because uh, later on we will talk about you have a John Berger book over there, which is the I first do. book that uh, um, uh, John Berger was was uh, written about by Jeff Dyer, and we were talking about your enthusiasm and Jeff Dyer's enthusiasm for Gene Reese as well. It's not a podcast unless I get to say enthusiastically how much I love Gene Reese and how devastating she is and how incredible her writing is. So um, for those so playing book shambles bingo at home, I would imagine they've almost got a line the uh so basically you were saying that you'd read these books at o and a level and you wanted to read more of them because we've just gone on a silly tangent yeah um so um that was the point at which kind of james baldwin kind of got a hold of me wow. um i saw a film a documentary called the price of the ticket which which if you haven't seen it, it's absolutely extraordinary um James Baldwin came into my life because um, I was at high school and in, in Guyana and it was the bonk buster phase, you know. Oh, so it people would share Sid like a dirty book with each yeah, other. Sidney Sheldon, Danielle Steele, um, Harold Robbins. Um, uh, we were all reading these books about people, you know, Jackie Collins. We were all reading these books about people getting off with each other. You know, oh, they're... I've got one for your study as well. I've got a, a, a bonk buster called All the President's Wives. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, I think, you know, the, 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 I, I, no one really discussed the narrative, you know. It was just like, you know, OK, well, the, 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 did you read the, bit, the bits? Or Get the, to page 55. Right. Into the midst of all of this appeared Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. <laughs> 
and um, I can't remember who had it or why they were reading it, but um, as a as, as a young closet case, you know, um, um, you know, and I was, I was a born again Christian at the time as well, so I was like, you know, am I gay? Am I Christian? Am I God? I'm damned. Um, and um, Giovanni's room appeared. Picture um, um, was um, the 1970s cover, and it's very interesting because you've got um, a, a, a very blonde. Um, white male in a brightly coloured shirt, sort of like leaning forward. It's a, a, a painting on the bed. And then behind him, there's this like, you know, <laughs> Italian guy just draped on the bed like that. So it left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> but when I started to read it, it was like, oh. And I kind of like, you know, flipped through looking for <laughs> yeah, the bits. Where's the dirty bits? And there, and, and there weren't any bits. I mean, you know, the, 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 the dirtiest it got was um, the, 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 the narrator noticing the power in somebody's thighs. And that was it, and it's in a sleeping man's thighs. So it was like, okay, that was that, that's not what I thought it was. And um, the, 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 the 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 opening is a sort of um, a converse polemic emanating from James Baldwin about um, the European conqueror, and so he's basically um, saying that the, the protagonist has come from this um, history of conquest and colonialization. It's very weird. But the name sort of stopped from then. I didn't really get on with Giovanni's room. But then I saw Price of the Ticket, and in Price of the Ticket, um, he um, it, it, it emerged that Baldwin um, had a relationship with a French artist whose name I forget, but who was filming, filming him constantly. So if he was in Turkey, if he was in Switzerland, if he was in America, the camera was always there. And so um, you get to listen to the story told with this absolute embarrassment of amazing footage. We've even got um, James Baldwin getting out of bed in his wife runs. <laughs> but um, then you get... That's uh, disappointing, because I'd always imagined silk pyjamas. No. The <laughs> wife front is a little bit... Because there is something about his incredible... The, 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 the elegance of his passion. Mm. I think last time... Didn't we talk... I can't remember if it came up. The, the BFI release of, of, of Babylon, which uh, the British film came out in the mid-70s, which is has with it... It's uh, Baldwin um, talking... I think it's the LSE. And it's just this room packed with people and throwing questions at him. It's about a 40-minute film. And it's it's yeah it's remarkable. Sorry. Anyway, so he's out of his bed and his wife runs. Not the silk pajamas I was expecting. Not uh, not 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 the debate with William. Are you you're not speaking about the debate with William Buckley. No, I can't watch any of those. I, I've given up on those. The Noam Chomsky one. Where well, William Buckley when he he hmm, there's something so insidious about William Buckley's technique and the fact that he has a buzzer that allowed him to call for an ad break whenever he was in trouble. So the no, Noam Chomsky one. No, no, no. That, I was talking about the debate between James Baldwin and William Buckley at Oxford. Oh well, no, but I uh, well I, that, I can't watch him though because of the Chomsky thing. So I've never watched that one. Okay. Hank, could uh, you tell me more about that? Yeah. Please. <laughs> Hang on, we, so, we, uh, so we should go back. He's getting out of his bed and his wife runs. Yeah, he's getting out of bed and his wife runs. But um, at the, uh, for a um, young, black, conflicted, um, gay Christian like myself, there was no, the, 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 he, it was like an angel. You know, it's like, right. oh my God. You know, the, he, he was the answer. He was fierce. He was out. He um, was a polemicist. Mm. Um, he fought for um, civil rights, even though they called him Martin Luther Queen. You know, um, he um, left America because he couldn't stand it, but had to go back because he felt compelled to um, march with with um, um, Martin Luther King. So um, it was just a very and, and 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 he he was a child child preacher as well. 
and um, Cornell West I mentioned earlier. Um, that's when you discover that whole um, tradition. It's, it, it, it's the virtu virtuosity that I, that, that I described earlier. But at the same time, you've got um, these guys who come out of the church and deliver it in that um, hellfire and brimstone preaching fashion. And he was one of them, one of them. And there's a scene where he walks up to a lectern and says, now I am going to improvise as a writer. And then he just, I'm the color black. And he just like went off like that in many ways. Like um, um, it, it was as if though he had been looking at William Buckley. Mm. Because um, William Buckley was very much um, a performance orator, wasn't he? But uh, <laughs> he's a fascinating. If you have you ever seen him? I I would love you guys the, to educate the, the, me. Gore Vidal. There's a film or documentary all about him and Gore Vidal. Oh yes, uh, and about how the uh, best of enemies. I'm gonna what's it, punch you in the sucker. Whatever it is, there's a, there's, there's a bit. Now where... listen here, you queer. I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm no Nazi. I fought in the war. And it's such a... You know, and then you have Gravidal, you know, the just... Uh, the, the, this incredible... The, yeah. And and the Chomsky one as well. I have never seen... I must see... So there's a film... I've never seen the film of him uh, debating with, with William McCartney Jr. At, uh, yeah. And so, could, yeah, could you tell us a bit more about it? Um, yeah, it's a debate on um, racism in America um, at, the, at the Oxford Union. And um, that was the first time I'd ever heard of William Buckley. I had, I had no idea how important he was. National Review kind of um, reconfiguration of um, conservative ideas at a very, um, you know, important point. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> so um, they just argue and um, James Baldwin wins the debate. But it is quite extraordinary when you think about um, what was important to um, James Baldwin in civil rights and just to um, experience this um, white American conservatism um, in opposition to that. In the heart of white British conservatism yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So we would recommend, well, uh, the, I suppose this, uh, the, the far next time would be a, a something to read in terms of putting him in historical perspective. What year was been, that? Uh, the debate, though. Sorry to interrupt. 1960-something. Because it's interesting to think, if that's the Oxford Union, mm. who would have been there who then be went on to be massively influential in British politics? Forget, and what does that mean? Yes, yeah. That's, you know? That's a good thing. Because you think about who might have been in that audience and it's actually kind of... Well, you know, in the, in, in the spirit of Frost-Nixon and that movie that you just made, I think that would be a fascinating film to see if somebody ever, if, if somebody ever got around you to just making it. research who was members. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, and, and, or, 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 or a great book. You've, you've given me an idea. Please, go for it, please. The, the interesting, because when you were... Something I think I've mentioned before, which is a book by a guy called Chris Hedges. Uh, I think it's called The Age of Illusion or The Age of Delusion. Do you know what? I can't remember the title, but I've read it. It's a very interesting book, which one of the things that I'm thinking about, because you were mentioning Trump earlier, mm. he talks in the book about a study, which I think was done by Harvard, which was about the decline of vocabulary in presidential debates. And he starts off with uh, Lincoln, and who would have been against? Uh, who was? Who was? Uh, I can't remember who it was against. And then, and it, and it goes through to then the eighties and the nineties, and then then you have a, suddenly an increase in the broadness of of vocabulary when Obama uh, is is in again. But obviously, there's nothing yet on uh, Trump where we have people saying, "I know words. I know the best words." Mm. Where you go? So I think that might. But it's Can an incredible I... thing to university level, and then it drops. To, sorry. No, no, no. I. Uh, this isn't that relevant. But I 
No, it's not. I, I just found out, I read an article yesterday that the guy who funded and bankrolled the Leave campaign basically got someone from the Trump campaign and that's the campaign that they run, that they ran almost via stealth around the country. And that the first thing they said when they, my stomach is going, I'm so sorry. The first thing they said when they decided to do, to run the Leave campaign was facts don't help. We don't care about facts. We don't want facts. And that's the standard of the Trump campaign. It's like, we don't need facts. We don't need anything. Oh, but maybe the Trump, camp, maybe this will be a good thing to get go against Trump is because every time you see footage of them coming out of that great big fucking NHS, bus and you go you can't I'm sorry you went around with a bus that said this promise you can't so maybe we could quickly get if we can do a tour of the the, the Midwest and, uh, and and the South and we'll take that footage and we can show that the Trump thing he may well not deliver on his promises it's up to you and me Josie maybe and we'll get a bus um, we have to go to any town where they sell bullets in a supermarket shelf as we know um, yeah the um, it's a very weird old time in that people aren't really don't, don't don't really care about facts anymore they just care about who's speaking and how and also you know we as a nation are sick of experts that's i'm never going to forget yeah, that but i think that that is really that, that that is really what we're dealing with i mean one person the other day um god bless him thought that the solution to the racism that's flared up recently would be to um you know give everybody one of those dna reports and he was like saying, if everybody had one of those, everything would be all right. If everybody knew they had a little bit of, you know, Syrian in them or whatever. Um, and, 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 I, and I just said, I don't think I've got any black person in me. <laughs> Says who? I don't believe him. I was, I, I was like, he said, why are you speaking to me like that? I said, because that's how people will be. That's how people will be. You know, if um, if 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 uh, neoliberal, that's another hip word at the moment, says, you know, um, says, 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 says something they don't get believed. It's scary in America right now. Um, there's um, a, a presidential historian called Rick Schenkman who says that um, uh, the problems began with television. And that's really interesting because a lot of the engagement that any of us have with these guys now is television. And you just think about all of the um, um, Machiavellian little minds like um, working to orchestrate the perfect televisual experience for the viewer. But what I would say is, Ben, do you not feel slightly hopeful about the fact that TV doesn't have the same, like, unilateral power it used to have? You know, especially young people. Young people use all no, kinds of platforms. No, but then you use the internet. And platform, yeah, yeah. that's the same thing. So no, it's not is... necessarily the same thing, and it's not entirely the same thing, because we do still... We do live in a society where things can get through. You know, obviously, like, algorithms mess mm. with that, and obviously people with money and power get to lie and shape things and fuck with the discourse, but at the same time, if somebody records a video and uploads it and enough people find it and share it, it can get out there. You know, like, I, it does make me feel not too unhopeful to know that I can follow certain people on Twitter and trust them. And, do, do you know what I mean? I don't it feels think you like... have to despair, but I would agree. There's a book, is it called The, the Six... Uh, Trent, can you look it up? The, I think it's The, the, the Six... Arguments for the Elimination of Television, uh, which came out in the 1980s. And Neil Postman, who we've mentioned many times, you know, he's another example of that bit of... I think that what what is worrying is, is your reality broadcast at you a lot of the time? Right. And is the yes. reason for your reality broadcast at you rather than your own reality, which I think we've talked about before, which mm. means that as long as you are participating, then... And, you, and you're actually active. But if you're just... Because the, the, the Trump thing, I think, is... Uh, I like. Are you allowed? You think of some of the things he's done, which any other presidential candidate in any other race would have been the end of your campaign. Is it 
is he allowed to keep going? Because in the end, the most important thing is, are you still supplying entertainment? So in America, the news, you know, lots of people said, we need to see less Trump all the way through. So why are you, why are you exposing? Well, because he's good for viewing figures and he trends and he does, you know, and so... In the end, in politics, is the most important thing where well, you provided a lot of entertainment, and so you're allowed. By the way, it's called Four Arguments for the Elimination of uh, Television by Jerry Mander. I mean, I had Jerry Mander. Come I know on. it's his real name as well. As That's far as awful. I know, it's his real name. And I have, Who I have that. Who calls their son I'm, Jerry Mander? <laughs> the, uh, but it's it's a it's a very it's years since I've read it, and I will go back to it. It's a very interesting uh, book. But do you know what's interesting is I think that we may go into some sort of. I mean, I'm too optimistic and I'm too Pollyannaish, but at the same time, I think we might see some returns to some sort of slightly more... Well, it's not over. I mean, that's the thing is, I think if we just resign ourselves oh, yeah. to going, let's just go to the feelies, you know, <laughs> living in this kind of, you know, Huxleyan world, mm. then, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, so we should, we've always run out of time. We, we haven't gone through any your of your books. And you bought, th- you brought three books with you, which you now have to carry to your exam results where you're going to be, whatever happens, you're going to have complimentary Merlot and very small pastries. So, um, first thing is, can I ask you on the pile of books, Truman Capote, In Cold Blood? Yeah. Yes, what about it? Well, it's in, it's in your stack of books, and I wonder, Truman Capote, again, another fascinating figure that, who also suffered from that thing that David Hemmings and Huel Bennett had, which was to have a window of prettiness and then become something quite bizarre to look at. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I just wondered why you, why you chose it in Cold Blood, I suppose one of the first great documentary uh, non-fiction novels. Yeah, that was a real game-changer for me, um, um it was it, it, it it's it's fascinating and i just uh loved that it was um based on um on, on, on truth and that it was research into events that had actually happened there is a ongoing debate about um how he um tweaked um the information a bit but to um actually um be so um bold as to take the reader into um, a um, jalopy on a freeway with um, the killers um, as they discuss and stop at designers and plot and eat. And um, to, I, I, was, I just thought that was immense. Um, it was um, 1966, I think. Um, so that was the year before I was born. And um, if I ever did write a novel, that's the sort of thing I would like to write. Um, you know, it, it, it gave me a great deal of faith, um, faith in truth, and in many ways, it made um, James Elroy all the more intriguing, because um, I began to realise that novels aren't necessarily aren't, aren't necessarily make believe. I did actually actually carry that um, naive idea for a long time. I didn't realise that people might actually um, be discussing facts. And call Elroy's them a novel mother... so they don't get sued. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So J- James Elroy's mother was was murdered. Is 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 that right? Yes. Yeah. And and so a lot of his work kind of revisits this. The it was a, a murder in Hollywood. Is that right? That's right. I, yeah. Um, yeah. He um, sees himself as a um, Los Angeles historian essentially, um, and um, people say that um, what people really know, what actually happened behind the scenes is what he documents in his novels. But he calls them novels, because if he, if, if he didn't, he'd be, he'd be in trouble. That's like when because we he uses, um, in, in, in American tabloid, I mean, he does write about Howard Hughes 
and the Kennedys and Gloria Swanson's daughter. It's all very, um, the, 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 these are real people, Jimmy Hoffa, these are names that you know, these are um, uh, authentic historical figures. And um, he puts a baseball bat with um, nails in it in Jimmy Hoffa's hands and sends him off on the yacht, and that's how he does his shark fishing. So, <laughs> I don't know if you know about the Truman Capote thing. Just how did we get onto James Elroy? Sorry, oh, it was, <laughs> it, it was non-fiction and fiction. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. The, uh, yes, and again, something we talked about before with Jeff Dyer about his his jazz book, but beautiful, which is mixing those those things up. But um, Truman Capote, I read a thing which was he tried to write. A, much of his life was him trying to write a follow-up to In Cold Blood to find another. Really? And there's a story, and I can't remember what it's called. Again, if anyone's listened to this and they remember, I probably got it somewhere in in in, in an attic, in one of my many attics that I keep around the country. Filled with my secrets, um, but it's uh, that he wrote, but and it was something. I think Crocodile was in the title, or Alligator was in the title, and he started to write, and he gave it to the publisher. I've got a new story, and it's a true story. And it's like in Cold Blood, and then it was found out that he basically he fabricated the whole thing. Uh, and so, if anyone remembers what, what the title of that was, incredibly hard to bear to do something like that. Which, like, I, I think I may have said this in another uh, of our podcast because I only recently read In Cold Blood last mm, year, mm. and it completely, I, I, mm. I was like, oh. This is why all journalism is how it is yes. because of this. I mean, not that, not that cut and dry, but pretty much, right? And like this, it made me understand why modern writing was the way it was. Yeah, it's, so it's to... very much the birth of that approach, isn't it? Yeah. All the um, like uh, I suppose the um, the most ridiculous example would be um, the Courtney Cox character in Scream, huh. who's written this story about the 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 the, 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 the serial the, the masked serial murders, yeah. and um, it's all it's always a book. Yeah. It's never an article. It's always you know in my latest book, you know. Yeah. But I'm very attracted to that approach to book writing. Well, I think that makes sense in terms of, you know, you talking about wanting to research that much and mm. about, you know, mm. being attracted to non-fiction and stuff like that. It's very, it's, it, 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 it's very courageous to actually want to sit with and get to know the criminals who, who, yeah. who, who perpetrated the crimes, to actually go to a sensitive place and ask questions when people are probably still in recovery from um, atrocity and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have that much spine. I, I, don't, I definitely don't think I do. <laughs> you, you only find out, don't you, by the... Uh, um, I mean, d does it require a certain level of kind of... Uh, your own psychopathic trait to allow yourself to do that? I don't know whether that helps in the way that... Yourself. If you remove the positive human empathy that you might have with the victims, etc., then you might be able to write that. If, if your drive is, I believe I can write a great work and it will make my net, does your name usurp the story itself? I don't know. Well, to create something new, you have to go there, don't you? And I think, I think that's the difference between the... Um, no, I shouldn't say that. The difference between the goats and the sheep. Ha! <laughs> the, uh... I was going to say men and boys, but goats and sheep. Thank you, I appreciate, I appreciate your uh, unigendering. Uni uh, unigendering goatee sheeping. Um, <laughs> the uh, final two books we just mentioned, but well, we've mentioned a little bit anyway, so we won't uh, let people go, go and read Ways of Seeing by by John Berger, and it's always a, a, a fascinating uh, writer. I believe he's, he's ninety uh, this this year, wow. in fact. Uh, uh, but the final one then, uh, because we've sometimes talked of things that are bleak, but at the bottom of your particular pile, we see A. A. Milne. When we were very young, um, and I still have it. Um, I, if you've ever seen the um, little Muppet on the steps singing, um, here, here, here is the here in the middle of the, of the stairs is the place where I sit. There isn't any other place quite like it. That was written by A.A. Um, a. Milne in the 
1930s. Winnie the Pooh was introduced um, by A.A. Mill in, 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 in this book when we were very young. And then there's that um, fantastic um, poem about the um, king asking the queen and the queen asking the dairymaid, could he have some butter for the royal slice of bread? Um, and uh, the, 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 these wonderful illustrations. And um, I look at it every now and then. I just need to have an A.A. Milne moment. It's lovely, isn't it? There's certain books we've talked before about the the Little Prince being another one, which has yeah. a lovely connection between the 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 story, the humanity of the story, the the delight. That poem, unfortunately, the halfway up the stair has been ruined for me because when I had my incredibly lengthy tour with Richard Gervais, when I, he would just sit and stare at me and sing that song at me oh. in a very <laughs> bizarre. Uh, Why? Because it was a very strange tour, and if you've ever seen the film The Toy, starring Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor, you may have some idea of what my role became on that tour. Um, David, uh, quickly, is there anything we should uh, tell the audience about of things that you are doing? Uh, you have in September. You're doing uh, a, a night, I believe. Yeah, on first, second, third of September, we're doing a night at Hideaway and Stratton, celebrating the work of Prince. Um, but before I go, I just wanted to um, quickly mention the Starlight Barking. The Starlight Barking is a novel by Dodie Smith. It's my other favorite stories book. Kids fiction book, um, and it's about the, the the Lord of the Dog Star Sirius coming down to the planet Earth to take the dogs back because um, he thinks that um, they've um, been um, subjugated by the humans too much, and the dogs choose to stay. Of course, oh, they would choose to stay, wouldn't they? That reminds me that Philip K. Dick, one of his first short stories, is uh, a, about a dog that is chasing all the garbage men and trying to explain to the humans that these aren't garbage men, they are collecting different traces of humanity in preparation for the invasion. Did I say that it was a sequel to 101 Dalmatians? No. No, that, 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 that kind of makes it, yes. So, a so um, combination of 101 Dalmatians and Philip K. Dick, we've managed to get them same together. Pongo Perdita have, um, a, have, have a dog at number 10 down. Street called Cad Pig. <laughs> and I'm glad that we've Thank had another so another show where we've talked about uh, um, the work of, uh, of, of James Baldwin as oh, well. Which is, uh, and there we are. Music for chameleons. Uh, there were chameleons. I don't know why crocodiles. There is another story I think you did with crocodiles or alligators. Music for chameleons was, was the book which was possibly uh, not as true as uh, had been deemed. Uh, Thank you so much for coming. By the and, time um, you listen to this, uh, David Conk will officially be one of the great art historians of the 21st century, yay. having gone into a had that complimentary <laughs> Merlot and small pastries and received his degree. Uh, thanks very much, Josie Long. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you very much, me. David McCormick. Um, please listen to us again. I've done all the end credits already, Josie. I did them earlier when you weren't here. I'm sorry. It's I'm all right. It's the rail infrastructure. It's so hard. Like, and also, like, so I've got a nerd point, though. And don't forget to go to cosmicgenome.com slash shambles where you can find out about more episodes, reading lists and also a Patreon donation link. Thank you very much for everyone who's donated, which means we can keep making this podcast. And they include Kendra Johnson, Finley Finley, Helen Teff, Hannah. Oh, there's a this, the, the printer hasn't printed your name out properly, Hannah. So it's going to have to be Hannah Edney. So Hannah Edney, hopefully you know who you are. Uh, well, hopefully we all know who we are. There's a lot of existential angst nowadays. Uh, Carol Haynes, Rob Thorley, Sarah Hatch, Andrew Waddington, Victor Lejean, Kevin Tipcorn, Michael Devin and Roger Watson. Thanks. Bye. Josie Robbins Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. 
Hello, Trent here. Just as a little footnote, we should let you know that since we recorded this, David did in fact pass everything. So well done, David. And something else we think that Book Shambles listeners might be interested in is our good friends at Conway Hall are having a bit of a book sale at the moment. They've got a huge selection of old books from their library that need a new home. And all they're asking for is a small donation to the Conway Hall Ethical Society. And you can take home with you a selection of lovely old books having a flick through. There's Bertrand Russell, there's John Scarn, there's Lewis Namia. There's all sorts of good stuff in there. So you can pop down to Conway Hall in Holborn in in London and have a look for yourself. Uh, thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Thank you.